Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Episode 188 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science. And comedy. And ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Craig Wah. And in this episode, we are having an interview all about gut health. For the longest time, I always thought of the stomach as just a big bag. And you, you sort of threw food into it and then... Energy would leach out of it, some sort of process that no one fully really understood, and then all the waste would just fall out of you. And, and I and- learned it was where all my feelings were from. Oh, there you go. That's- back, back in back in primary school in in Rome. Well, they- <laughs> exactly. So we have some pretty old ideas about digestion, and we decided that we better talk to someone and set the record straight. So joining us today, we have Dr. Joe Reese from the Edith Cowan University, who is a dietitian with expertise in gut health. Hello, Dr. Joe. Hello. Are we even close? Is the stomach a big bag or a place that your feelings are kept? What is the digestive process in in a quick and exciting way? It's many of those things. It is a bag that processes your food or your gut is, but also we do have gut feelings. It's very correct. And I think right back when Hippocrates was around, he was known to quote that death sits in the bowels. So we've known for a long time (laughs) that our gut is fairly important and it affects our health as well as our mental health. Mm. So So you've just, right off the bat, you've said that there's a difference between the stomach and the gut. So what what has Greg misunderstood there (laughs) from the very first sentence? Okay, well, I'll just talk you very briefly through your digestive system. So you have your mouth where your digestion of food begins. And then you swallow and it goes down your esophagus and it goes into your stomach where it gets pounded. It's a very strong acidic environment, which helps to break down the food into more mush. Then after a certain amount of time in your stomach, it goes into your small intestine, which is the one which we all learn at school, goes all around a tennis court Mm -hmm. and is very long and windy. It gets further processed and then nutrients are extracted from it as it passes on its journey to the large bowel which is where it gets fermented anything which hasn't been digested so far is fermented by the resident microbes that live there which is our gut microbiota and it's the reaction with these guys that we're now realizing is so important and makes a big difference it's not just where the stool is formed ready for it to be excreted okay that was there's a lot to unpack there the the last thing you want to do is unpack any of that the whole thing is about packing yes Yes, it is (laughs) do do larger people have much longer intestines than a smaller person or is it roughly the same length in all humans does the the size of a human being change the amount of intestines that you have in your body in any appreciable way i think that's a really good question i'm not actually really 100 percent sure I, I don't know the answer to that exactly but i would assume that it's average i don't mm. think it's necessarily longer or shorter obviously larger people have more space mm. i know stomach sizes definitely vary Some people have more stomach capacity than others. But I think the length of your bowel is fairly consistent. I suppose it's quite a hard thing to measure. Mm. It's not very often (laughs) you actually get the gut out and measure it from end to end. First you need a tennis court. Yeah. (laughs) Perhaps we don't really 
we don't really know because we've never done enough research into it. I saw a movie, a documentary about William Wallace called Braveheart. And at the end, then they did the experiment. They, they hung him up and they opened him up and they pulled all his intestines out. I'm pretty certain they were measuring the length. That was what they were doing there. I didn't have the sound on, so I couldn't really work out what was going on. Okay, I'm I sorry, wonder I'm sorry. why they were doing That's... it. <laughs> <laughs> for science, not, not not for not for nasty reasons, I'm sure. Indeed. <laughs> so the food hits the stump. Well, I guess the food hits the mouth and the saliva starts breaking stuff down. Yes. And then it hits the stomach and you said that the acid is like full on in there. Yeah. And it gets sort of ground up into a mush, except for the corn. Obviously. <laughs> well, there are certain things that won't. The more fibrous vegetables and if you don't chew your food very well, you might have some larger lumps, which might then pass further on down through the gut and even be visible at the other end. I suppose the mouth is the physics part of the gut and then the stomach is the chemistry part of the gut and then you specialise in the biology part of the gut, which is the next bit. Yes, Yes, to a degree, although they all probably do a little bit of that, uh, of each other's jobs. You made a comment before about mental health. I don't think of I don't think of my stomach and my brain as being one feeds the other, one sends energy to the other. I never saw it as a two-way street particularly, but you're saying that the stomach can have some effect on mental health. Yes, so it's actually your gut which has the... Sorry. The effect on the... I have to keep correcting you because no, we don't have right. very many Please microbes do. in our gut, in our stomach, but we have the ones which communicate with the brain are in our mostly in the colon, so the large bowel. It's a two-way communication pathway between the microbiota and the brain. Your brain will affect the health of your gut and your gut will affect the health of your brain. It's bidirectional. It's only really with the latest technology that we are being able now to understand this more so the reason why we didn't know it before was because we couldn't look at it the the technology that we had couldn't tell us what it's telling us now with all the analysis that we have the metabolomics and and everything else it means that we can get a much better picture and it's not just the microbes but it's the metabolites which are their byproducts from the fermentation which are the key players in this bi-directional communication pathway between the brain and the and the gut Oh, so the the little bacteria in the stu- in the gut, uh, in the gut, um, they release chemicals, and those chemicals get taken up by the body to do stuff. Yes, yes. So some of them purely look after the gut itself and maintain the health of the cells. They're the main energy producers for the, they fuel the, the gut cells, the colonocytes that line Wait, the gut. Wait, the, the cells in the gut don't use the energy that we've we. We don't send energy to those. The energy comes via the bacteria. Um, a large proportion of it, yes. Wow. And actually, there's a certain amount of energy which is produced for our own use by the gut microbiota. So in the same way that we would extract energy further up the bowel where the normal processes that we've learned about forever, which is the breakdown of glucose, and it goes into the bloodstream and then it produces energy and it's either if we don't use enough of it, it gets stored. Well, the bacteria in the gut do the same thing. They produce energy for us, which may or may not be harvested by us. It depends on the type of bacteria, the diet that you've eaten, lots of factors. So we're learning that it, where we always thought when we're talking about weight, it was as simple as energy in versus energy out. 
So you eat so many calories. If you burn off so many calories, then you're equal. And if you don't burn enough, then you're going to store some. It's not that simple, which is the reason why when you look at two people who might be on exactly the same diet, do the same amount of exercise, and one of them is large and one of them isn't. And it will be to do with the way that their body processes, the food that they've eaten, and their resident microbes, and what they do with the food that they're eating and what's going on in their gut. And it's much more complicated. So it might be that I'm not lazy. My microbes are lazy. (laughs) (laughs) You might just have the wrong microbes. So Uh. it's not necessarily that, that, I mean, laziness is definitely still a part of it. You can't just say, okay, I'm I'm just going to sit on the couch and hope my microbes do the right thing by me. Um, That that doesn't happen. So let's say I have really healthy, well, no, I have really good microbes that handle this energy, like break it down and produce energy really well, and Dan doesn't. We've talked on the podcast before about fecal transplants for other things. Could you take my, inverted commas, good microbes and put them into Dan's gut to help him, or is it really only good for me? That's a really good question, and that's something which we've done in mouse models, and we've definitely noticed that you can make a difference to the mouse's body weight purely by what's been implanted into their gut. Hmm. However, in human studies so far, it's a bit more difficult to study them. Obviously, the ethics is slightly more complex. Mm. Mm. But um, we get all complaining and whingy about you have to not hurt people. We have to be nice and look. It's a yes, whole thing. Yes, so. we can't. We can't put them. We can't create the same environment in humans. No. <laughs> but there have been some studies, and I think the the problem that we are coming up against is that it's all very well you doing a fecal microbiota transplant. But the life cycle of the bacteria and other microbes is only usually about 24 hours. So if you don't maintain them, if you're not providing the right substrate to maintain and prolong their existence, Mm. it's going to be a very short fix. The one thing we've had real success in the fecal microbiota transplanting is with a bug that you can get in hospital, which is resistant to any antibiotics, and it's called Mm. C. difficile and People who have that have very bad diarrhea in it, and it's a big problem in our hospitals because it's resistant. Mm, and mm. once you get an infection, it's really hard to get rid of it. And we found that by transplanting healthy microbes, a good balance, they can get on top of because the bacteria that live in the gut are vying for supremacy all the time. So they're mm. competing with each other. And if the C. difficile is the reigning supreme champion and there's very few others, then it's not, it's not going to go away. Whereas if you introduce a whole load of others, they can get on top of it and keep the numbers at a safe level, if that makes sense. So if you want to have these good microbes that, that you've had them transplanted, you then have to do something, maybe beforehand, have changed your diet to create the right environment for those, the inverted commas, good microbes to actually flourish. Yes, yes. And that's, in effect, what we're doing when you have probiotics. So that's exactly what you're doing. A probiotic is a healthy strain of bacteria or other beneficial microbes that you introduce into your gut. But you okay. need to have the, the right substrate for them to live on, for them to thrive beyond their normal life cycle. So if I wanted to get Greg's biomass into me, um, no, that's not right. That's just eating him. Uh, his <laughs> intestinal flora into me. I might want to change the acidity of the area or is it much more down to whether there's competing bugs? Would I want to 
overwhelm them with like lots of his intestinal flora? And could I bulk them up between things, like stick them in a petri dish and really feed them up to make a, make a lot of them? You probably could do that last thing. I think that's. I would imagine that some of the studies that they've been doing where they have discovered a, a favourable species and then they're bolstering them and then working out ways to introduce them. The acidity, alkalinity is irrelevant. The, the body, human body, is absolutely brilliant at maintaining the balance of everything that goes on. So what you swallow will can be as acidic or as alkali as you like. By the time it's mm. passed into the digestive system, it will have sorted itself out. The stomach's acid, the, the small bowel is, is alkali. It does it for us. So it, mm. whatever you eat, it's not going to make a difference. But having said that, if I describe the gut and how you can look after it in the same way as you would describe a garden, it makes it easier to understand. So if you can imagine you've got a pretty sad-looking bit of garden space and growing in that space there's lots of bare patches and then the thing that is growing there is usually one kind of weed or two kind of weed and they're taken over and there's very little else that's what we would look at as an unhealthy gut profile then if you can imagine a really beautiful garden with thousands of different kinds of flowers and it's vibrant and everything seems to be living happily side by side and it's it looks really well that's your healthy gut so you've got lots of different species they're rich they're diverse it's it's flourishing Mm. if you have those two scenarios the way that you're going to grow them if you just sow one or two seeds you're only ever going to get one or two plants if you if you sow a whole handful of different kinds, you've got the potential then to grow all of those things. If you think about that as your diet, the people who eat one or two seeds or maybe none at all, for example, no dietary fiber, so very little food that's ever going to get into that large bowel because it's all digested way beforehand because it's ultra-processed and... Mm already partially done for us before you've even swallowed it so you think about things like white square bread for example there's nothing going for that it's just literally sugar in a square and the body doesn't have to do anything to it it's already partially digested because it's been through the factory and turned into square bread and so none of that will end up in the large bowel doing anything there's nothing that's going to get through the normal digestive processes Whereas if you have a multigrain slice of bread as an alternative, there's a lot of what's involved in that piece of bread that isn't going to be digested by our normal enzymes because it's got the little seeds and grains and everything else that needs to be broken down. Some of that will happen and it will release lots of beneficial nutrients in that happening. But what doesn't get digested will end up in the large bowel. Then it's really good fuel for our microbes, the ones that are going to make that healthy garden. And then all of a sudden your garden will grow. So you, when you eat, you have to eat not just for you, but for your gut biota as well. Exactly. So you, you, it's not yeah. all just for you. You've got to keep the, you've got to keep the passengers happy at the, at the, yeah. at the, on the spaceship that is your body. Uh, exactly what it is. You, you look after your microbes and they will look after you. <laughs> so if I've got a whole bunch of different microbes, are they providing me with a whole bunch of different chemicals that my body uptakes? Yeah. 
Yeah, so they're involved with many of the physiological processes that run all the different metabolisms that go on inside your body. So it's not just the communication with the brain, but there are things like inflammation. And we've found connections with the gut microbes with all sorts of the diseases that we are experiencing probably more and more. There seems to be this relationship and it's probably answering some of the questions that previously we couldn't answer because we just got so far with our science, which was two sort of one plus two Mm -hmm. equals three scenario thinking where we actually needed to go back and go, it's not that simple because... Mm -hmm. If one's hang, in on, the, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me get a pen. One okay. <laughs> plus two. Okay, yeah, go or on. If, if one is in the environment with another one, it might be able to make plus two equals three, but it might mm. also be able to make four. And mm. I'm not, I don't know if this scrub, is the best, scrub, scrub, best <laughs> example, but it's basically... <laughs> It's that relationship between the species. So even if we know that there's favourable species, which we do, they're the ones that you get in your yoghurt and things like that. We've been talking about them as lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. They're all really good for us. But just on their own, it's not that simple. It's not like, okay, well, I'll just take a tablet of that and that's going to fix me Mm. because they have this really big relationship with all the other microbes that they live with and... It's that complicated relationship that we need to learn more about still now. But we're moving towards the area where we actually think that for every individual, their microbiome is unique. No two people, even in studies, lots of a really big study of twins in the UK, they've followed them. And you can have two twins who have almost identical upbringing, almost identical diets, almost identical lifestyles. And their gut microbiomes are really different, really, really different. So your microbiome is unique to you and therefore the tablets that you take if you have a disease might work for one person, might not work so well for you because they interact with your microbes. Mm. Also, you might be able to eat, I don't know, let's say more bread and another Mm. person might not be able to eat so much bread because of the reaction with their microbes. So this is why we're looking at perhaps personalised nutrition and also pharmaceuticals and that side of things where we work out whether one drug might work for you or another drug might be better, Mm. depending on your microbiome. Oh, and you could misuse those drugs if you were a competitive eater. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Dan's found the angle there. Uh, how does the gut bacteria and the brain communicate? Well, what's the mechanism? Like, is it electrical? Is it is it sending camera? Is there a is there specific channels? Is it just diffusing through the body? Is it a nervous system thing? I'm just trying to work out how all the stuff that's all down there gets up to all the grey stuff up here. You kind of talked about all of them. It's mostly all of those different processes. So all the different ways that the brain communicates with the rest of the body is not just the nervous. There is a nervous connection, Mm. but there's also chemicals that are in the blood that circulate through our blood. And neurotransmitters are produced by gut bacteria. So serotonin is 95% of serotonin is produced by gut bacteria. What? Really? Yeah. Okay. So... 
okay. and other neurotransmitters as well. So these are all the ways. It's an orchestra of all of these things. It's not just one on its own. They're all happening at once. So, so I'm a bit blown away. Like the serotonin is produced in the gut. That's actually really surprising to me because you need that for your brain to function. I mean, serotonin is a really important thing for the brain to, yeah. to, to operate properly. I know that I'm always happier when I'm eating. <laughs> Yes, well, what... and and food should be a fun thing. We sometimes forget that as humans we share our meals, and that is mm. part of our culture, and that's what we what we do to have as as fun, relaxing downtime from everything else that we do. That that's all part of it, and we're possibly moving away from that a little bit, which is a real shame because it's so easy to eat while you're walking along the street rather than sitting down and eating with others. Mm. Um, but we are sharing our meal with our gut biome. We are always, yes. Well, not always, actually. That's not true because it depends on what you're eating. If you're eating candy floss or something like that, you're probably not going to be sharing any of that with your gut mm. microbiome. Well, it's too good to share. That's a- <laughs> it's too tasty to share. I don't want to share the rubbish foods with them, like the grains. <laughs> that works out well, actually. All that nasty fibre, they can take care of that. I'll just enjoy the sugars. Thank you very much. <laughs> So what sort of foods should I focus on to either avoid upsetting my gut biome or make it an absolute pleasure garden? The most important thing is really to try and avoid processed foods. Human beings are designed to process their food themselves. And this ultra-processing in the factory where every piece of cake is to look exactly like the piece of cake before it and after it, and their food is able to maintain its shape and form and stay on the shelf for as long as possible. Mm. All of this kind of processing is definitely not good for ourselves or our gut microbiome. It's raising inflammation and upsetting, it's causing dysbiosis, which is when your gut is unhappy. Whole foods, as close to the source, what they look like originally, lots of variety. If we look back at the garden scenario, if you don't sow enough seeds, you're never going to get much return. So as much variety, and that comes down to even things like capsicum, for example. If you have green capsicum one day, then yellow capsicum the next, and then red, you're going to get different nutrients from each of those that's going to affect different microbes in your gut, and it's going to give you a three times benefit as opposed to if you just have red capsicum all the time. So varied diet is important then. Yeah. So variety, whole food, natural food, And it doesn't matter whether it's raw or cooked. That doesn't make a difference. Some foods are more beneficial if they're cooked. Some are more beneficial if they're not cooked. It's not about isolating nutrients. It's about having the whole thing together in its natural matrix because it's that food matrix which we realize is more beneficial to us because so you've got three different things which can be beneficial going on in your gut from a food. If you have the food as a whole in its natural form, those things will all be enhanced so you might get six-fold benefit. And so if I was like really used to eating lettuce, it would actually be to my benefit if suddenly all lettuce suddenly rocketed to $10 a, a, a lettuce and suddenly I had to try other green leafies. Exactly. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Speaking of rocket, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And looking at the mind diet which is the one which is for mental health, which is a, it's a twist on the Mediterranean diet. Because the Mediterranean diet basically is what I've just described to you. Mm. And then if you're looking for mental health, we're now learning about cognitive health and everything else, is definitely benefited by adhering to the mind diet. So in that 
it recommends that you have green leafy vegetables every day. So it doesn't have to be the same one. It should be a different kind. But every day you should have at least one kind of green leafy vegetable if you want good cognitive health. That's good for your brain. Okay. Now we talked before about, you mentioned about processing food, but then you said cooking isn't really a problem here. It's like it's it's the over-processing in a factory. So cooking is kind of, in my mind, almost like what you, you mentioned at the start. It's, when you chew things, it's like pre-digestion. You're, you're starting a digestive process outside of the body or at least just in the rocky, knifey bit at the front of our heads, we call our mouth. And, and so does cooking have more benefits for digestive health? It depends on what you're cooking. If you were going to cook a potato, for example, it's not very digestible when it's in its raw form. So Mm. therefore, it turns it into something which we can digest. Mm. And therefore, it's beneficial. Um, Then, for example, if you had a steak and you put it on the barbecue and you forgot about it and it's gone black and charcoal-y, that can be harmful because some of the products that have produced from that slightly overcooked steak, they're not good for us. Mm. So cooking can be, again, it really depends on the food and, and what we're doing to it. Um, how good a cook you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing about potatoes is that the starch that's in a potato is when it's in its first cooked hot form is quite easily digested. It's just your normal starch. Then if Mm -hmm. the potato is allowed to cool down, that starch changes its molecular shape and becomes inaccessible to our natural digestive enzymes and then forms a thing called resistant starch. It ends up in the large bowel and is a really top. Resistant starch is really, really good for the favorable bacteria and they thrive on it. Oh, wow. If you want to do yourself, your microbes a favor, or if you make mashed potato and you make too much Mm. then if you reheat it the next day it won't revert back to the the resistant starch that has been formed in its cooling is still there if you reheat it so so you recommend we drop the hot potato (laughs) or or have it second day hot yes so it's reheated potato so leftovers, we're, we're pushing it here on yes. Smart Enough to Know Better. We're saying leftovers will help you more than freshly yes. cooked food. Fantastic. Yes. Does that work for pizza as well? Do you get like a pizza and then you, like you leave that? It always seems no, to taste better. No, unfortunately, uh, it's not. Just potatoes. It's not right. all things. Potato is just one of them. There are only a few things where the resistant starch is increased with the cooling. Okay. I've heard pasta as well. Yes, yes. But if I would like hold that potato at heat for a day in a pressure cooker or something or in a curry, that it's not going to have that chemical process. No, no. Mm. it has to cool down. It needs to cool down first. That's where the where the the structure changes in that cooling process. That's fantastic. Now I want to move on to a subject very very dear to Dan's heart: fermentation. And, yeah. uh, and Dan, Dan has been, well, not so much anymore, but, but used to be really into fermenting juices into some sort of terrible drink, Dan. And, uh, but yeah, beer, it's pretty common drink. Yeah, but sorry. Pretty yeah. common drink. <laughs> been around for a few thousand years. But fermentation is, well, what is fermentation? Is it good for us? Is it something we should be doing? Should Dan go back to drinking his fermented juice? Please say yes. <laughs> The fermentation is something that has been around forever. 
We've been doing it all through history. And it is where microbes from the air, perhaps, or the environment get into a food, start to break it down. And there are two different kinds of fermentation, one which is done by bacteria, one which is done by yeast. And it depends on that. And sometimes it can be a combination of the two. But generally, at the end of it, you get a slightly fizzy product. And that's because the bacteria that have started to break down that food are producing gases. And that's what makes it fizzy. And as long as it's done in as controlled environments, per se, so that we, we know which ones are good and which ones are bad, sometimes you'll get the wrong ones that take over and you know when it's blue and hairy, you probably don't want to be having it. That happened to me once. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take a second sip of that. No. Um, <laughs> but the, the healthy ones, yes, it's very good because it is a natural probiotic. So what you're doing is because this product now is full of thriving little microbes doing their job, you then consume that and then you are introducing those beneficial microbes to your, to your gut. So it, it's definitely a healthy thing. Some foods are sold as fermented foods, but possibly the fermentation process has finished and there's no live cultures in there anymore. Mm. So then it depends on what food it is. And if it's still going to produce a source of dietary fibre for your gut, well, it's still beneficial. You just might mm. not get so many probiotics going in, but it will then produce the substrate for more of those species to then grow back on there once it's in your gut. And then when it comes to the the alcohol fermentation process, so when you're making beer and wine, there are no live species left in that product. The fermentation process has finished. So as far as beer is concerned, it's not necessarily thought of as a probiotic. Well, it's definitely not a probiotic. <laughs> um, red wine, because of the great polyphenols that are in it are actually probiotic. So they, they are beneficial because it's the polyphenols in the grapes that <laughs> are very good. They interact with your gut and they're very favorable to your health. And that is why a glass of red wine is included in the Mediterranean diet. And <laughs> it has been shown that this is not harmful, but it's only one glass of red wine a day. So mm. it's not... Yeah, okay, I can drink red wine ad libid, you know, put on and on, and I know it's good for my gut because eventually it's too much. Because mm. not necessarily... Yeah, in my experience, it's impossible to drink one glass of red wine. <laughs> well, apparently they do in the Mediterranean. <laughs> there are stronger people, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's because they have such great mental health, they can just stop, they don't need to continue to go on. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask a very silly question here. You said something before, and I, and I, I should know this, and I, I'm weirded out that I don't. Yeast is not a bacteria? <laughs> no, yeast is a fungi. Oh, so there you go. it's okay. So the the microbes that live in and on and around us, there's various different kinds. So you've got bacteria, you've got fungi, you've got viruses, you've got archaea, you've got prions, and they're all slightly different. So yeast is a is fungi rather than a um, okay. a bacteria. There you go. Gross. Uh, <laughs> so. so the fermentation it has some benefits as long as it's live, active culture. 
and it's, that that means it has some. If it's the right, if it's the right things fermenting, is fermenting and things like pickling. Is that the same? Is, are you when you pickle something? Are you fermenting it or no? Have I just totally gone on a weird side side area there? Um, I think I certainly the end result of a good fermented vegetable, for example, will be like a pickled vegetable. But that's right. because you've allowed the microbes and cells to produce the acidic taste, which is the lactic acid that they produce as a byproduct. And that's where you get that vinegary kind of thing. If you've just poured vinegar over the top of some vegetables, mm-hmm. then um, <laughs> it's still not harmful. It's vegetables and, and vinegar is okay for you. So it's, it's all good, but it's not going to be a natural probiotic. Okay. So you need to leave it for a couple of weeks. Um, or just let it do it itself. So, for example, when you make sauerkraut, it's not cabbage in vinegar. It's cabbage on its own with a bit of salt, which is allowed to be left for a few days. And then it starts to produce its own preservative. It is like a preservative. The lactic acid that it produces is a preservative, but it's not vinegar. So many human foods seem to be someone made a mistake and just had to eat it anyway. If someone had cabbage and they're like, ugh. This cabbage is far too old. Oh, actually, I didn't die. I ate it and I didn't die. Cheese always feels like the same thing for me. Someone had a lot of milk and then went, oh, this milk's going a bit chunky. I better eat it anyway. Oh, I didn't die. That's always nice. There's so many foods that just some poor person had to put it in their mouth for the first time and then not die. Yeah, and blue cheese is the same. You would look at that and smell it and think, surely not, but it's still it's okay. It's that one with the maggots in it. What? <laughs> Yeah, there's a cheese that they sell with little larvae in it. What? <laughs> that's part of the charm of the cheese. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. That doesn't sound very nice. I don't know if I could eat that one. <laughs> that's no. Blue cheese. So, Dr. Joe, what foods do you mindfully eat where you're like, you know what, I'm going to get this specific thing? Do you make your own kombucha or um, what, yeah. what life hacks do you have for us? I, I have a kefir. So my kefir baby, as I call it, has been going now for, I've had it the same one for nearly four years now. I don't know um, what that is. I don't know what that word means. I don't, I've no um, idea what you just said. Is, is similar to kombucha. So kombucha is a fermented tea, but I don't really like cold tea. I like hot tea. So that, that wasn't going to work for me, but I like milk. So kefir is a form of fermented milk. It's different to yogurt mm. and it does have a grain. The kefir grains, they ferment the milk. So you put them in, you can actually do it in something that isn't milk. You can do it in plant-based milk alternatives. You can also make it in water as long as you give it some sugar. But I use just normal whole milk. And it's a slightly fizzy, slightly sour tasting, creamy kind of drink. And you only need a small amount. And I have that every day with my breakfast. And it definitely, it produces the bifidobacteria and the lactobacillus, which are good for your, your brain health. So that's one of the things that I think of is have my kefir every day. It also keeps your gut happy. I've suggested to some of my patients that I see that they should try taking kefir or having some fermented either kombucha or kefir. They've all reported that it's been good for them. It's made them feel better. So fizzy sour milk. You know what? I'm starting to warm to this maggot cheese all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, it's not for everyone. So... (laughs) It seems like acquired taste. So it sounds like, Dr. Joe, that what you're saying is for our health, we should have a cook a potato, let it cool down, put it in a glass of wine, just and just have that. That sounds like a, a good good answer for our gut health. That would be helpful. 
it's not too bad. <laughs> you could probably you could probably add to it somewhat and have um, some green leafy vegetables as well. Oh, okay, and, right. and, and a salad. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying just yeah. eat that. So that wasn't the I'm going to survive on wine and cold potatoes. I was just trying to add add a add a something in. But, that, no, you I did. think we've got a new diet plan for our listeners. <laughs> I just don't want to be the one that's saying that all we need in life now is cold potatoes and red wine. Oh no no no! <laughs> don't, no we, we, we would we would we would definitely take that arrow for. You no problem at all. We're the ones saying the silly thing here, Doctor Joe. Thank you very much for your time today. I've actually learned a ridiculous amount about something that I should probably know more about is the inside of my own body. So I really appreciate your time today. That's okay. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's been great fun talking to you. Thank you so much to Doctor Joe Reese for answering all of our giddy questions. So good. Now, the recipe for kefir is in our show notes at smartenough.org. So if you have an eagerness for fizzy sour milk, mm-hmm. just like all healthy people, you can get along there and give it a go. This sounds like exactly the sort of thing that our top tier patrons are going to be all over. <sighs> they should get in. I think everyone should go and cook a potato and then let it cool down. And then place it into a glass of red wine and have separately a bowl of kefir. And that will be the perfect smart after dinner meal for your health. So should it just be a wedge of potato, like a lemon in a daiquiri? Oh, you're classy. I was thinking thinking of a tumbler, but you're talking about like a cocktail. Oh, my God. You are a classy bitch. Yeah. I, oh, that's what, that's what we should do immediately. Now, the more astute listeners may have noticed that my audio quality was a little bit subpar <laughs> for that interview. <laughs> but I figured if Greg didn't notice when we were recording it, maybe you wouldn't notice either. And look, uh, the important voice was fine. Our guest was mine. fine. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Not you. <laughs> Dear me. I think I've had kefir. I think I've drunk it before. Ah. And I was thinking, okay, I think I've had this because... Years and years and years ago, I got to travel to Mongolia. Everyone should go to Mongolia. It's an amazing place. And I got to go out and ride their little horses. They're not ponies. They're just smaller horses. And do all sorts of cool stuff. There's and then, a difference? There's, oh, they will. Yes. And do not upset the people that once conquered China. I uh, Do not call their horses ponies. They get, mm, they're not ponies. They're horses. Anywho, the horse is very important to them. They use the whole thing. They use it for you know, riding around and for war and for and for eating and for its milk and and every part of the horse. Mm-hmm. And we got to go to a yurt where they made uh, they made us not made us eat, but they invited us to eat solid horse milk. It was like a cheese, but it was a very weird cheese. And then I th- I was thinking, oh, I think I've had kefir. They, this terrifying horse mares milk based fermented drink, which was. Not the most pleasant thing in the world for me to drink. It was actually quite, quite hard. It was very, very, um, interesting to try. Put it that way. Ah. My Western palate was not ready for this. <laughs> I've been thinking, oh, is that kefir? Is that what kefir is? But it seems to be similar to kefir. It's something called airag and it's not exactly kefir, but it's close enough in, in, to my uneducated palate. Yes. I, so I've never had kefir, but I've had the Mongolian cousin. Airag, A-I-R-A-G. It's something to try, everyone. More drinks, more exciting fermented drinks. What they told us with the, with the Airag is you drink it, they put it in a big vat and they drink the, and it's fermented and then they take out the last bits of it and they put it back into the next vat. And that's like the mother, that's the, the that's, ah, the, that's the, the that's mother the thing dough. That Dr. Joe was talking about mm, it. And it's the next so thing. The, the, 
and it sounds terrifying, but it goes on and on and on. And they talk about how this has been in the family for generations. This one vat of drink has been with this. But what they mean is they drink it through and they develop the next one and they drink it through and they develop the next one, but they don't lose the, the culture. That's uh, the thing with the living culture is you can't start from a dead one. Mm. So every, everyone's using a culture that's been around for millions of years. Mm. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's uh, yes, I see. Yeah, it's, I see it's like it's saying, oh, I made a new tree. Oh, I mean, I had to start with a seed. Yeah, <laughs> good point. And I, where'd you get that? Oh, another tree. Well, where did that come from? Oh, it grew from a seed. Yeah. Well, that's just like people, though. Inside every woman are all the eggs that they're ever going to have. And then they have a baby. If that's a person who can have babies, then they've got all the eggs they'll ever have. And then I'm like, when did it start? Sorry, we've got we've gone weirdly off side here, but I just oh yeah yeah yeah. A lady will have a pregnant lady will have her grandchildren's eggs, the eggs that will form her grandchildren inside of her. Yes, that that doesn't freak anyone. That I'm sure that a whole bunch of pregnant women listening to the podcast just felt real old. <laughs> Potential grandchildren, I guess, but it's I. Well, if they ever do have uh, grandchildren, uh, those uh, eggs were inside yes. their mo- her, her mother uh, uh, when she was a baby. Yeah, when she had a fetus. Yeah, uh, I, I, mm, I, uh, why, I don't know why I brought it up. I'm, no, I'm, I, mm. It's harder to digest than the kif- kefir. <laughs> If anyone actually drinks it, then please let us know. I'd love a picture of you drinking it. Please send it to our social media at SC2KB on Instagram or on Twitter. I'd love to see you with your frothing glass of kefir. Welcome to the Walk of Shame, where you, the audience, call out the mistakes that we made on the podcast. Before you tell your Walk of Shame, Dan, I I, want to read out a tweet that was sent to us today from Danilo Sores, a a listener of the podcast, and Mm -hmm. they wrote to us saying, finally have a Walk of Shame to submit, can't wait to leave the site to have a chance to type this up. And they sent it to us. And I was so excited to read that. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, they actually got, hey, I can't wait to rag on you idiots. I'm assuming it was me, but that's fine. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, but feel free to always send stuff into us and to let us know that it's coming because, yeah. Oh, but they haven't sent it yet. Oh, they haven't sent it yet. I didn't get it. Oh, well, I haven't got it either. So, <gasps> Danilo, if you're, if you're listening, hang on, if I just said your name. And you think you've sent it, you've not sent it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I haven't seen or- it. The email has gone completely pear shaped. You've sent it to John Green and Hank Green, John and Hank Green people, and and, and then answer it first. They'll, they'll be better at it. They'll be so much better, and they'll they'll make it charming and lovely and 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 life affirming. And and you know, oh, we can't deal with that. Ah, but it won't appeal to our listeners. They like abuse. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's a it's a really. It's a really unhealthy relationship. Very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. Very unhealthy you should have some kefir. Speaking of unhealthy relationships, Scott Driscoll <laughs> wrote in to talk about the pattern buffers and cadavers in Star Trek. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. Now, when we left off last time, you mm. were pretty sure that you could put me in my place <laughs> because you'd watched the, an episode of Stranger yes. Worlds and I had Yes. Yes, sure. And then I finally watched the episode and went, Greg doesn't know what he's talking about. 
look, I will admit, say listeners don't know, the, the argument is that Starfleet would eject everyone into space when they're dead as a symbol of respect. My take on that has always been, well, we don't know that. You only see important people go. You don't just see everyone go. In the episode of Strange New Worlds, randoms were dying. You know, red shirts died and it showed the... Yeah. And unbel- so as not to spoil, yes, it's, I'm just- it's possible that major characters Maybe, were part absolutely. of that. Sorry. Yes. What, seven dead yeah. people? Yes, right. Or so? Good choice. Like, like a certain collection. Absolutely. Probably and, uh, probably about seven. But and so the beautiful- I don't want to spoil. <laughs> the beautiful Captain Pike with his amazing hair and amazing jaw and swashbuckling attitude and he should take me in his arms and just hold me forever. Uh, anyway. The man is all rectangles. Oh, he's, he's just superb. Anyway, uh, Captain Pike. Not a and triangle it- on the man. <laughs> So he, and he was like, oh, he came down to visit his crew, but you don't see him eject them into space. Now, Dan's like, well, they're obviously going to eject them into space. And I'm like, no, no, they were just putting him in the cargo bay. You, you can't say that was ejecting them into space. You were just saying they were in the cargo bay. Okay. Well, look, I would say that they could put those anywhere in the ship mm-hmm. in order to have some sort of ceremony for them. Mm-hmm. But they put it specifically in the one part of the ship where they just have to open up a door and they all get sucked into space. <laughs> Look, it feels like a lot of effort to put them right next to the thing that sucks them into space and not <laughs> suck them into space. Uh, sure. I, I will give you that, that it is leaning heavily towards what you were saying, but uh, we didn't see it. And until I see someone getting sucked into space, I don't Bunch believe. Of getting sucked off the ship. Don't, don't, don't. Don't. We're better than that. No, no. I'm sure there'll be an episode where they, all the dead people get sucked off. <laughs> Stop it. What are you talking about? Okay. Just, well, anyway, so back in the space. Okay, yes. So here's the point. So this thing, I was wondering, why don't you just store it? the corpses of people in the pattern buffers because they can store living people in the pattern buffers, pattern buffers for the transporter. And they and in Strange New Worlds, spoilers of Strange New Worlds, early episodes, you see it specifically that someone is stored for long periods of time in the pattern buffer. So mm-hmm. why not a corpse? Okay, so we talked about doing that mm-hmm. and also we mentioned that they did it with Scotty in, in an episode of The New mm-hmm. Generation, uh, The Next Generation. Uh, he was stored for decades. In the episode where they find Scotty in the buffer, mm. it's taking most of the computing power of the USS Genolan to stop the pattern from breaking down over time. Oh. Storing the bodies that way would be very resource intensive. Mm. Now, in Stranger Worlds, they're keeping a creature in the pattern buffer mm. long term, but they have to materialize them on a schedule to avoid pattern degradation. Ooh. So this is all well and good, but I have a really good reason why they send the coffins out the cargo bay doors. Mm-hmm. Because in Star Trek, lots of people get disintegrated, mm. but humans need to say goodbye to them. Whether they're disintegrated or not, they get a coffin that people can say goodbye to. So they open up the door and they just and everyone just wave and say goodbye, person that I loved, even though mm. they were atomized. Mm. Now, to answer your conceit that it makes more sense to break them down and turn them into food, mm-hmm. well, if the body isn't technically needed to go into the coffin, mm. I mean, there really is no reason to waste those valuable resources. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe 
Maybe they do eject all the coffins into space, but maybe they keep all them lovely cron molecules for themselves. <laughs> this is, maybe this is Star Trek's dirty little secret. Maybe it's it's like you're like, oh my goodness, we've discovered the it's soil and green, strangely worlds as people. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's uh, it's utilitarian. It's utilitarian. Hi, we're Starfleet. We believe that everyone should be equal and no one should miss out on anything. And by the way, we devour our dead. <laughs> all these other alien races, like, yep. That's that's pretty standard across the universe. <laughs> that's it's pretty much what we all do. That's like normally so, we eat, normally we eat everyone else is dead. <laughs> what do you do? Waste food? That's not very Federation of Planets of you. But don't Wasting worry. Wasting food. Do you know how few cron molecules there are in the universe? <laughs> but don't worry, people. It's not cannibalism. Humans only eat Vulcans. Vulcans only eat Klingons. Klingons only eat Romulans. <laughs> Everyone eats a different species. It's like devouring a very popular and intelligent cow. It's fine. It's fine. It is the circle of life, space Simba. <laughs> See that dark area over there behind the black hole? It's all the dark. The dark area it's, behind the black hole. It's all dark. That's. It's, it, if anything, it's slightly lighter behind the black hole. Okay, go. Why? Why is it slightly lighter behind the black hole? I'm interested in your thought process here. Because uh, of all the stars behind the black hole, the black hole's sucking all oh, the light in. Okay. Oh, okay. But the light's you. coming I, from the. I thought you were pulling. I thought you were making a very, very clever gravitational lensing comment, which I would have actually. I was about to get very impressed. I hadn't got to that bit. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you could. You can see. But well, depending on the size of the black hole, you, you probably can. You definitely can see things behind it because it bends light around it. Yeah. Anyway, we've got weird off topic. So what's the well, walk of shame? Things, you can see things directly behind. Oh it. So yeah, if there was a dark spot, an even blacker spot directly behind the black hole, and you were looking at the black hole. Mm. You would just see the black spot. <laughs> well, it'd be a ring. It, well, it would. De- yeah, this wow. It all de- <laughs> depends on if it's rotating. Depends. There's a lot of things it depends on. Yep, lots of things. Okay, well. That's not going to. That's not going to that. That's not where we're going. Anyway, so who's walking a shame of what? And I, what? <laughs> well, I, I don't think anyone needs to walk any shame okay. just yet. All right. Okay. okay, cool. All right. Now, the next walk of shame. <laughs> this is also, also from Scott. Oh, he said, Scott. hey, in a recent podcast, Greg claimed that swords have a groove in them so they don't get stuck in the body. That's, yeah, that, don't they? The fuller on a sword is only there to lighten the sword. Huh. So I was thinking maybe you're thinking of cheese knives <laughs> because they're there so that they, cheese knives don't get stuck in the human body. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm learning a lot, but probably not what I needed to know. <laughs> I Oh, wow. I honestly thought that was – so that's just a, another useful thing. Is, so is that just a, um, a furphy that, that, that's in there to stop suction – to give it air so you can pull things out of people. The cheese knives? Uh, well, yeah, well, swords, the fuller. I honestly. No, no, that, that's just to keep them light. Huh? There's no. There's no blood involved. Yeah. But with cheese knives mm. and cutting knives with holes in them, mm. it is, I imagine, to stop the uh, our old friend, the Vanderwall's forces. Mm. Mm. They like lessen them so that it, you can actually peel them apart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to peel you apart like an old cheese. <laughs> Stab him. <laughs> Stab him right now. <laughs>
You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can do all the things that you usually do with mm. podcasts that you like if you go to smartenough.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could talk to people, you can leave comments, you can press all the buttons, subscribe, yep. all sorts of you stuff. Can, you there. can download our Tech notes, you can get a recipe for kefir. That's Who else gives you recipes for kefir? Yes, no Dr. Joe's recipe for kefir is in the show notes. Get over there and click on it to download it. Drink it. You can also buy shirts yep. or drop some money in our tip jar, or you could become a patron. If you become a second-tier patron by paying us $5 a month, then we will read your name out in thanks to you. Mm-hmm. So a big thank you to Andrew Whitehurst, Christopher Revel, Matthew Toy, Elizabeth Yunkin, Ilana Mitchell, Avi Greenbury, Gronya Maguire, <laughs> Matt Ewers. After all these years, I always see your brain, you get to Gronya Maguire, your brain goes, ah, oh, no, we're here again. Uh, 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 there it is. Got it now. It's... I'm trying to I'm trying to enunciate mm. at the same time as my brain is screaming Grainy Maguire. <laughs> oh. All right. Oh, now I have to go back. Okay. So Grainy Maguire, Matt Ewers, Andrew Trousdale, Ivan, Lindsay Jenkinson, Andrew Potts, and Britta Rogowski. Mm. So thank you all for be- being a second tier members of the patron. We are very thankful. And of course, our top tier patrons. All get abused by me. I didn't sign up for this, but they <laughs> sure did. <laughs> okay, so a mistake was made last oh, episode. I was going to bring this up. Our new top tier patron, mm. Robert, mentioned that I insulted the wrong, <laughs> the, the wrong Robert Shouten. Because you know, I'd like to point out, Dan, your job is to insult these people, but you yes. you decided to cyberstalk them instead and get information on them and pick the wrong person. You actually specified on the patron that I would do research and abuse them. Ah. And like put some work into it. Ah, so I'm the monster here. You've always been the monster. Ah, here. that's that would explain a lot, actually. Yes, that's true. But thank God I'm charming. So like a vampire? Mm. Right. I want to suck you into space. Well, it's working because Robert <laughs> Shouten has paid us another $15. <laughs> he was upset. He, he, As he pointed out, he paid money to be and insulted. I someone else. And, you, and some person got a... You, you, that person didn't pay money. So, yeah. No, but it, it inspired the insults. Mm. Uh, all, remember all the tech insults mm. that you didn't laugh at? Well, a bunch of people contacted me and said that they loved them. Oh. Because they're big nerds. <laughs> and we love big nerds. <laughs> okay, now, Robert Shorten has paid us another 15 bucks, mm. but he requests that we instead insult his son instead of him. That's, wait, whoa, whoa, is this... <laughs> This doesn't, we don't, this is not a hit service, is it? No, no, no. I won't be doing that. I won't be doing that. And, uh, apros of nothing, this episode's insults are based on people or characters who have committed patricide. <laughs> so, Tom Siri. Tom Siri, you are the Eric Cartman of the podcast. In that your morals, just like everything else about Cartman, are paper thin. Eric Cartman killed his dad? Yes. Turns out that he killed someone, someone else's dad, and then he found out that that was also his dad. His biological his Oh, biological my goodness. father. Oh, yes. Wow. Wow. I, yeah. I moved. I moved. Steve Stewart. 
You are the Barty Crouch Jr. of the mm. podcast. Mm. Mm. Uh, now, now, I had to do some research on this. I actually had to contact Steve and trick him into telling me that he really liked spicy foods. <laughs> okay, so you, you're the Barty Crouch Jr. of the podcast in that you have a long bottom and you are responsible for the torture of it. Ah, so, that's, 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 that's nice. That's, that's a lot good. going on there, but mm, hopefully there's the a lot Harry going Potter on fans have yeah, that's yeah, landed yeah. square in the middle of their that's, that's pleasure centre. Yeah. It's funny, he's, he's, the guy who played uh, Longbottom was like a little geeky kid and then grew up to be like a hot young man and everyone went, <gasps> he, He's responsible for the phrase, glow up. Nice. I think. Nice. You think? If Dan's wrong, please get in contact with me at Greg Asparatrog. <laughs> Steve Eichenhout, you are the Kylo Ren of the podcast. <laughs> In that your father made it more than clear that once you showed up, he wanted to be killed as soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell. Mikkel Kedar, you are the Oedipus of the podcast. Uh In that you, Mikkel Kedar, are Mm. really good at solving riddles. (laughs) That's it. Oedipus solved the riddle of the Sphinx. Mikael yep. is That's, real good at solving yep. riddles. <laughs> nothing else. Nothing comes to mind. Not really a good insult. Maybe I guess he's a bit of a puzzle nerd. You know, yeah, nerd. Yeah, but sh- as nerd, I just said, sure. we yeah. celebrate nerdiness on the podcast. So it's not yeah. really a good insult. Yeah, a bit, but bit there it mis- is. Bit of a Mikael Kedar, Oedipus, good at um, <sighs> solving puzzles. Oh, he's also a motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's total motherfucker. Absolute motherfucker. Oh, no. See, I'm still not back at my home yet. I'm, like, living <laughs> with my aunt and uncle. And so I actually warned them before I recorded to ignore any any really rude screaming. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. I'm, I can see in the screen reflected there's a mirror behind Dan. And I can see the wonderful frog princess who's working quietly in the same room. And Dan starts screaming, motherfucker. And the look of disappointment in her eyes. That's been there a few years now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That you couldn't have timed that better. That was uh oof, bless. <laughs> all right, all right. And finally, Robert Shelton. You are the Tyrion Lannister of the podcast. In that anyone who knows you feels like they've wasted six years of their life. Oh no oh, that's a low blow, man. So Robert, I hope that no. this insult was better this month and uh oh thank you for providing me with your son's details. Uh, it, it, I was able to share with him a list of various hazardous yet undetectable household elements that he should be very careful with when making food for loved ones. You know, safety first. I need to come in here for a moment. I need to say something. Tywin Lannister did nothing wrong. That's what I'm going to say. He was. I mean, a- he didn't. He, he failed to duck. He well, didn't lock sitting, the toilet door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but that's no, not a he kill. failed to do that. He, that, he, he did not, that that's, wrong. That is not a... 
stand by it. Tywin Lannister did nothing wrong. Wasn't he sort of responsible for that whole red wedding thing? The Lannisters stand there, definitely. The Lannisters stand there, regards. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if nothing else, he did stab an unborn baby to death. He didn't, he didn't stab her. He paid someone else to stab her. Look, I'm, look, I'm oh, say- you're right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's Sorry. fine. All right, let's move on. Look, I'm just saying, I'm not saying it was pleasant. I'm just saying that if you're trying to keep your dynasty going, you've got to break a few Stark babies. That's all I'm saying. Wow. All right, so we know we know what side of the coin Craig's ethics land on. That's true. And I always pay my debts. All right, a big thank you to the favourite sons, Morton O'Hare, Eric Wilson, Al Batson, Scott Driscoll, and Michael Barnes. If you're listening to this as soon as this goes out and you're living in Townsville, Queensland, Australia, mm-hmm. Earth, mm-hmm. solar system... <laughs> Then hopefully our show is still running up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are the writers of Speed the Movie the Play. Girl Clumsy is putting that on up there. So do a search. I don't have a. Oh, there'll be a link. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, That'll make do, things easier. Can that, yeah. I can do that. It's 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 twenty twenty two, baby. <laughs> it's a regional festival, and she's taking a bus. Well, not taking the bus, but she's got a bus up there. You can go sit on a bus and have the entire movie of Speed. Keanu Reeves speed made in front of your eyes and made Don't you want to be rescued from a bus by Keanu? That's amazing. It's just, it's amazing. We we wrote it, but it's it's, it's great. It's pretty good. It's really good. And as we always (laughs) like to say, Tywin Lannister did nothing wrong. And then I went, look, this is all fine and interesting. Star Wars is fine, but really, you're like, the only show we really should be talking about is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, because everything else is basically garbage. Just pointing that out. <laughs> it's on television right now. And some people laugh. And she turned to me and went, oh, you like Strange New Worlds? I went, how could you not like Strange New Worlds? And she went, I know. And we said, like, it was like suddenly the two seals clapping at each other. Mm-hmm. I like being an evangelist for a TV show I enjoy. It's very exciting. Yeah. Every time I talk to someone, they're like, oh, my God, I know. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I guess it'll get axed after a season then. Yeah, I, <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Uh, no, I'm happy to start. That's fine. You, I, okay. I'm assuming that your guard, how the conversation goes. Oh, and ab- yeah. I hope so. That would make things a lot easier on us if the guest did all the work, wouldn't no. it? <laughs> <laughs> The roof is load-bearing and everything just hangs off it, but we don't know what yeah. keeps the roof up. But, and we do not ask. Yeah, we're lucky the air is so dense that the roof just stays up. Yeah. The dense Australian atmosphere. You've got to keep the air pressure inside up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then all gets- the walls hang off that. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that gets- works out. Every time it gets cold, our volume changes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. It must be 32 yes. degrees today. My head isn't hitting the ceiling. Oh, it's winter. That's the reason it's shrunk so much. <laughs> Ladies. I'm only plucking feathers till the pheasant plucker comes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's son. We've got another media release. Who's it from? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Let, let me... Hang on a sec. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get H&R involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
It's HR. HR, yeah, yeah. H&R. Yes. Yes. The tax, the tax yeah, people so, are H&R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. H&R. I had a block. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, ow. Ow. <laughs> Ouch. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> I just now know to go, they're going to ask you this question. Here's what I said. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. Uh, yeah. And he goes, can you say the same words? Goes, yeah, 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 sure. So now I know to just uh, be ready <laughs> to back me up on this. This, this scarecrow and this tin man <laughs> and this farm girl would not listen to me. So what I did is I got this big floating head. <laughs> and they believed the head. <laughs> You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I got a bit of the Google, so I'm sorry. How about to say a terrible joke? I killed you him, sir. You were about to. I, I'm going to say it now. I, I killed him, I killed him, sir, with the cheese knife. Gouda. Sorry, it wasn't worth it. Ow. <laughs> I know. Oh, now my other side hurts. <laughs> From laughter? Ow. From laughter? <laughs> no. Not laughter. Look, his face is contorting in some kind of emotion, which I'm going to assume is laughter. This is my joy face. (laughs) You have been listening to Dan at smartenough. I'm sorry. Mm, Okay. God, it's so bad. It's so bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like sorry. it's so low quality. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we didn't go blue. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. It's taking me every ounce of might not to go running through my phyllodex of cheese names to try to come back because it's not helpful to anyone. Certainly not the Lester. I'm sorry, listeners. Stop it, brain. Stop it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I'll do better. <laughs> I knew that just setting up whether you were the Oedipus of the podcast that, and you were like, oh, no. I'm like, perfect. Uh, set up expectation. <laughs> Subvert expectation. I, knew, I was wondering if you, I thought you were, oh, he's, okay, he's not going to do it. He's, he's going to let it sit and, and, just sit and just sit there and let people work it out. But then I noticed that you just got quiet and your eyes change sometimes that like you just get this kind of. They twinkled. That yeah, you get this kind of like, nothing's happening in your face, but there's a lot going on upstairs. And I'm like, oh, here we, okay, hang on. Wait. Yeah, wait. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, yeah, frog princesses move. <laughs> that was a, the, the turn. Oh, I'm so good. It broke me.